Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Well, good morning. I'd like to introduce our guest speaker today, and we are so glad that he's here to join us. Uh, his name is Trevor, and I just want to give you a quick background of his story. A little bit here, it captures his life. Uh, Julie and Trevor have been married for 25 years. That's pretty amazing. They have four young adult children, and they are now empty nesters and live in Toronto. Trevor has been in pastoral ministry for 20 years and joined C2C Network, which is now called Multiply, as an Ontario director in 2015. After serving the network part-time for nearly three years while on staff at People's Church. Trevor's work focuses on assessing, coaching, and training and supporting church planters. And it's amazing what happened in 2018 through the Ontario church plants and the networks that 86 baptisms were celebrated because of church planting in Ontario and what's going on there. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's just in Ontario. So give God a hand for that. And Trevor, I'm going to call you up. And Trevor and I actually go back a few years. We did a, a program called Arrow Leadership, uh, a two-year leadership program back in the day. And I can't remember how long ago that was, but uh, we're getting old. That's all that matters, right? So anyways, we're going to pray for Trevor, and uh, he'll go from there. Father, thank you for Trevor. I pray, God, that you just give him strength, speak through him, and give him the words to say, and uh, give him energy and what he needs. and. Uh, help us have soft hearts as well and prepare us for what you've laid onto Trevor's heart as he shares that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mesh. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. I felt really warmly uh, welcomed here this morning, and it's, it's really a privilege to be with you. just want to uh, look at the story of Moses, the life of Moses, and what we can learn from Moses' story. And I wanted to start uh, this morning, first of all, with just acknowledging the name of uh, what was C2C Network and MB Mission. God has brought these two works together into something called Multiply, which stirs the question, why multiply at all? Why is evangelism important? Why is disciple making important? Why do we want to see churches that are planting churches? Why do we want to see God calling people to go all over the world to share the message of the gospel? But when we think about that this morning, it's not too difficult to come up with some reasons. We think about the Canadian context. Just here in Canada, why does the church need to multiply? Well, one of the answers would be right in this moment, this sort of cultural moment for us in 2019. This is a time of great progress in Canada. We live in one of the wealthiest and uh, most uh, esteemed nations of the world, and yet it's very clear that we're also in a very broken culture. And just as we're making progress on so many fronts and life is improving in so many ways, it's a time of isolation for so many people. It's a time of hopelessness, anxiety, depression. While we're posting on Instagram and sharing all these beautiful pictures about our lives, inside something is desperately wrong. And we feel that in our own lives often, the dislocation of culture. But we also know looking around us here in Leamington and in the region, in the province, in the nation, people are hurting. This enterprise of going forward in our own strength here in Canada is not working. And that's one of the reasons why the nation of Canada desperately needs the gospel of Jesus. 
but we can even go right back to the founding story of Canada, and there's another reason there. I know that you're a church that prays for, loves, supports Derek and Tiffany Parento as they're living in Perry Sound and reaching out on First Nations communities all along the eastern shore of Georgian Bay. But you know, part of what Derek and Tiffany are responding to is that there is something very broken in the founding story of our nation and the way in which people were treated who were living here before colonizers came, sometimes in the name of Jesus, ripped away from their families. And there's a brokenness in our nation that needs to be addressed. And if there's any time when people need to know the truth of the gospel in Canada, it's this time when we recognize that there's a need for reconciliation in our nation. There are also tremendously hopeful reasons why we would want the church in Canada to multiply. It's not just the brokenness of this moment or the brokenness of our nation and our history, but it's also the opportunities that God is opening up for us. Canada is an incredibly globally connected nation. People from all over the world, sometimes representing unreached people groups, are living here in Canada and can be reached here in a way that will influence the entire world. I think of my friend Obed, who began to search for God as a member of the Taliban in Afghanistan. And God met him, and Obed was saved. And he fled Afghanistan, lived in South uh, India for a time, but is now in Canada, reaching out to the Afghani population in the greater Toronto area. Or Kyla Sinclair Peters, who grew up to missionary parents, MB Mission, missionary parents in Thailand. She's now living in Parkdale in Toronto, reaching out to Tibetans. And both of these nations, Afghanistan and Tibet, would be tremendously difficult places to send missionaries into cross-culturally. But people are being reached from these people groups with the gospel here in Canada right now. There is an urgent need for the church to multiply. There's much brokenness in the world, darkness. There's much opportunity. So how are we going to respond? Well, as I said, we're going to look at the life of Moses. And Moses certainly recognized that there was a need. Uh, you remember how Moses' story begins, that he is raised as a, as a prince of Egypt, as a, an adopted child into Pharaoh's home. But eventually, on one occasion, uh, he sees a Hebrew uh, slave being abused. And in Exodus chapter 2, we read this. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Something was wrong in Moses' world, and it demanded a response. Moses looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Moses identifies a problem. No, Moses identifies a need that God needs to act and respond to. And his first impulse is to do something about it himself. You can imagine that over his entire lifetime, this, this sense of the injustice of how the Hebrew slaves are being mistreated and enslaved in Egypt is growing in Moses' 
mind and heart and what we're reading here in Exodus chapter 2 is sort of the fulfillment of all that. He can't take it anymore. But you notice that as soon as Moses steps out to do something, he falls. He commits murder. His motive is right, but he, his sin is exposed right in the moment of him uh, trying to act. Uh, the Soviet prisoner, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, puts it this way. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And on the one hand, this is so obvious that we wouldn't just look at the world's problems or the great opportunities for kingdom advance in this world and try to go after them ourselves in our own strength. We would feel like that's foolish, except that so often it is the way that we behave, isn't it? So often, don't we functionally behave as though if we just strategize properly, if we just express our vision clearly enough, if we choose the right logo and organize things properly, get the right leaders in place, that really that's all that we need to do in order to move forward and advance the kingdom of God. Particularly in the West, where there is so much that we're capable of doing. And in a church like Meadowbrook, where God has gifted you in your capabilities with such a wealth of gifts, it's more easy than we'd like to admit to believe and behave as though we're the answer. And it's only by, it's by our actions that things are going to be set right. But Moses very quickly discovered this isn't true. And you remember that uh, soon after, well, years actually, many years after fleeing from Egypt, he has this encounter of the burning bush. And uh, he's shepherding his father-in-law's flock, and he is on a mountain. He doesn't even particularly know that he's at a significant mountain. This mountain is very significant. In other parts of the Bible, it's called Mount Sinai. And he notices a burning bush here. And as he approaches the bush, he hears from God. And God says to him, uh, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. This must have been good news to Moses. You know, many years before, he had been disturbed by the oppression of God's people, and he had acted, and that had been fruitless, and it had led to nothing. And now finally, probably about 40 years later, he's hearing that God also is concerned about the oppression of the Hebrews in Egypt, and God is going to act. And you can imagine Moses saying, this is fantastic. This is the best news I've ever heard. The problem that I wasn't capable of solving, God is now going to solve. And the Lord goes on to say, come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And in this moment, Moses is called into what I wanted to call active faith. That he would actually believe that God is going to act and actually put himself into that story. That he wouldn't just be on the sidelines saying, that's great, God's going to move, but that he would step into that story in active faith. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall, you shall serve God 
on this mountain. This is important for Moses to realize that God is the one who is going to do the work, and he is asking Moses to participate. Other parts of the Bible call us partners or co-laborers with Christ. And this is the kind of dynamic that Moses is stepping into, that he would move forward, that he wouldn't be passive, but that his faith would not be in his own strength, but be in God's strength. And we know how that story progresses. There are various plagues that God brings against the Egyptians. They culminate with the final plague that uh, Jesus was celebrating with his disciples when he instituted communion. The Passover over the children of Israel as God brings judgment on the nation of Egypt. And on that night, the night of Passover, Pharaoh gathers Moses and Aaron and says, get these people out of here. I want you gone now. And there's this uh, sudden and hurried exodus. As they leave, God directs them to the Red Sea. You remember this story? It's probably one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. God directs them to the Red Sea. And at that moment, Pharaoh has decided that he's not so happy that he's lost his labor force. And he sends out his army. Actually, Pharaoh goes with his army and pursues Moses in the Hebrews. And it ends up in Exodus chapter 14 with them standing on the shore of the Red Sea. They're, there's no way forward for them. And meanwhile, Moses' army is kicking up the sand of the desert as they race towards these Hebrew slaves. And Moses says to the people this, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Notice how much Moses' disposition has changed. This is the man who lashed out and tried to start a rebellion against the Egyptians by killing an Egyptian soldier. Now he's saying, just stand firm. The Lord's going to work. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. We see that active faith again. On the one hand, it's stand firm. You don't need to do anything. I'm the one who's going to defeat the Egyptians. And yet there's also this commandment, move forward. Trust me. Move in the direction of impossible things and believe that I am going to move and act. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. You know, this moment of rescue for uh, God's people at the sea uh, being pursued by Pharaoh's army is really a picture of something that Jesus has done for us, that God has done for us in Christ. The ocean of our own sins separating us from him, there's no way that we can make it through. And Satan, uh, who comes to kill and steal and destroy, is like an army coming for us, and we are ruined on both sides. There's no hope for us in the front. There's no hope for us behind. And Moses lifted up a staff. God lifted up his own son, Jesus, lifted it up on a cross and made a way that is a miraculous way for us, a way that no man could cross on his own. He made a way by the blood of Christ that we can move through and we can enter into a relationship with God. 
Jesus has done the impossible. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in what you once used to live, but God has made you alive. God has done the impossible. And because we know what God has done for us, the impossible work of saving us through his son Jesus, we can trust him for impossible things in other people's lives. We can believe for those people that we say there's no way that neighbor of mine, that coworker of mine, that child of mine, friend or family member will ever know. They're so dead in their trespasses and sins. And God says, believe me for a miracle in their lives. I've already done all the work through my son Jesus at the cross. Jesus goes on and makes particular promises to us. Think of what Jesus said to Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Living in Canada in 2019, it sometimes feels like the forces of the enemy are attacking the church. And Jesus' promise to us is not one of defense. Jesus' promise for us is that we will go forward in his power and the gates of hell will not withstand the forceful advance of the church of God. That's a promise for us in 2019. And we might say, well, how could we believe that? The circumstances around us don't look that way. We stand on the authority of the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, descended to earth, died on a cross, and was raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And in that authority, we believe his promise that he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Leamington needs a church, needs churches that will stand in active faith, believing in promises like these from Jesus. That Jesus wants to build his church in Ontario today. That he wants to rescue people and bring them into his kingdom. We know how the story ends. Revelation chapter 7 Verses 9 and 10, I'll read it off this screen again. And John says to us, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. This is describing the victory of Jesus accomplished at the cross. A multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is how the story ends. And we're invited this morning to be people who in confidence, knowing that this is what God has planned, knowing that nothing can defeat the victory that Jesus accomplished for us at the cross, move forward in active faith. This isn't a job that God is giving us to do on our own. It's a work that he's saying to us, I am going to do this, and I'm sending you. Meadowbrook, will you be that church that believes God for impossible things? You know, the Lord has not only spoken through his word, he's also spoken through servants in recent days. Consider this from 1978. You said something that just thrilled me to my toes. Well, you know, Canada uh, stands uh, for peace in the world. 
and uh, Canada has not taken uh, sides in many of the world disputes, uh, such as Vietnam and so forth uh, in, in the past. And you have a spiritual heritage here, both in Quebec and in Ontario and in Western Canada. And uh, you have the spiritual groundwork is already here. And there's an afterglow that I think you feel. Now, people are not attending church today in Canada as they once were. Uh, Toronto was once called when I first came here, Toronto the Good, because so many people went to church. So many people believed in God, so many people believed in Christ. But I believe that Canada stands in a very unique position. If Canada should have a spiritual awakening and a spiritual revival, I think it could uh, lead the world. I think the whole world would look to Canada. And I think Canada could become the world leader in the spiritual dimension. Those words aren't really easy for us to hear as Canadians, that, that God might have a plan for us to be a world leader in the spiritual dimension. That was Billy Graham in 1978. I was eight years old. We're over 40 years since that day. And we've been living the reality that he describes in this video, that sense that the church is in decline, that sense that things in Canada are not as they once were. And yet, from this preacher, in 1978, this word of hope, saying, I believe God wants to do something in Canada. You know, there's been others who have spoken as recently as in May 2000, or yeah, 2012, a particular word to the Mennonite Brethren family of churches. So Meadowbrook is a part of the Mennonite Brethren family of churches. And in May 2012, Terry Mocker brought a prophetic word that has been received by the leadership of the MB family. And there's been much discussion about this. Perhaps you're not familiar with this. It's just a brief summary of what, uh, what he said, of what he believed the Lord was calling him to say. First of all, that this is a sacred time in both Canada's spiritual history and for the Mennonite Brethren family. And the Holy Spirit is exposing and bringing conviction and a call to repentance to make way for unity and deep collaboration among the Mennonite brethren in this nation. The Lord is changing the times and seasons in both Canada and within the denomination. He's calling us to a new reality that he has been preparing for us, things that we have never dreamt possible. And there's the call to lower the flag of the MB denomination that the flag of Jesus alone is to be raised across this country Terry Mocker said at that time, this has almost been too glorious to articulate because of the redemptive impact it will have on the country of Canada. This last message will come at a great cost, that is to lower the flag of the Mennonite brethren. It will mean an unqualified turning away from personal agendas and kingdoms into the greater cause of Christ. And I share this with you this morning. It's a, a word from seven years ago. But this is an invitation from God to say, believe me, for great things. It's an invitation into active faith. And it excites me to think that a man from South Carolina who comes up and preaches in Canada says, God is doing something unique in 1978. I believe that God can use Canada in a unique way in these last days. Actually, Billy Graham in 1978 was echoing words that were given first to Puritans in the 1700s 
when United Empire loyalists were leaving the United States and into Canada, and there was a word among that family of churches saying, don't oppose that move of those who are leaving into Canada because I have a unique purpose for that nation in the last days. And I believe that God is calling us as, as churches in Canada into active faith, a posture of prayer, a posture of humility, believing that God wants to accomplish a victory that will come to fruition in the words that we read from Revelation chapter 7. And it's more than just believing that God wants to do great things through us, because that's, that's a good step, but it's not a complete step. And it's not the end of Moses' story. Remember that when Moses encountered the burning bush, God said, the proof that I am the one who's calling you is that you will worship me again on this mountain. And so when Moses comes to with the people of God to the mountain of God, after crossing through the Red Sea, they're returning to the place where Moses first encountered the burning bush. And Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, as they're referred differently in the Old Testament, it's the same place. And so as Moses returns to the mountain, do you remember this story? Do you know how it goes? On the first occasion, it's a, it's a bush that's burning. On the second occasion, it's the whole mountain. God comes down as fire to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and there's smoke that's rising up, and there's an earthquake, and there's the sound of a trumpet, a supernatural sound of trumpets. I won't read this, but uh, this is actually before they get to the mountain. But look at what God says at the end of this. Look at verse 5 towards the bottom of the paragraph. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's God saying? You used to think of yourselves as slaves. For 400 years, that was your identity. The only way that you knew me is that you would talk about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That would be like us talking about the God of George Washington and having never heard anything about it, or the God of John A. MacDonald. These were distant historical figures, and they just had this echo of an idea of a God who once had moved in their forefathers who were long forgotten. And God is saying to them, now I'm sh I've showed up, I've rescued you from Egypt, but I don't only want to do a work around you or for you or through you, I want to do a work in you. I am going to make you my treasured possession. I am going to make you a kingdom of priests. I'm going to change your identity. And the mountain is uh, lit on fire by the presence of God. Smoke is rising up. There's there's an earthquake, and uh, the sound of a trumpet grows louder and louder. Verse 19, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder, and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the mountain, top of the mountain, and Moses went up. A little later it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And Moses said to the people, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Now, they weren't necessarily wrong. In fact, God had, had warned them 
don't let them come to the mountain. This is only for you, Moses. It was a special opportunity for Moses to go up into the presence of God. But I have good news for you today. Jesus died so that every single one of us here can enter into the intimate presence of God. There's an invitation for each one of us to go up on the mountain with God. And this fear saying, you talk to us, Moses, but don't let God speak to me. Because if I hear from God, I'll die. We don't need to be afraid. We can enter with boldness and hear from God through his word and by his spirit. We can intimately hear from him. And in that hearing, in that interaction, we can be changed. At the foot of the mountain, when all this is going on, and you have to picture this because the Bible doesn't say that the fire went away or the smoke stopped. There's a supernatural event happening on the mountain, fire and smoke. And down on the bottom, these people who have seen the power of God liberating them from Egypt, they've walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They've seen the pillar of, of a cloud during the day and fire at night. They've been fed by manna. They've seen water come out of a rock. All this has happened. And somehow, in the presence of a miracle, these people say to Aaron, well, it doesn't look like Moses is coming back. You better make us a god. And again, we say to ourselves, it's like when Moses reached out to kill the Egyptian, and we think, what were you doing? How could you think that that was how God was going to deliver the people? Here we say again, what are you thinking that you would turn to idols when you have the opportunity to turn to the presence of God? And then at the very moment, we're convicted. Our hearts, John Calvin says, said, are factories for idols. Our hearts just make idols like, you know, GM makes uh, Sierras or whatever. And that's so true. And we have a choice this morning whether we're going to turn aside and try to fashion some comfort for ourselves, whether we're going to try to make some false god for ourselves out of success or whatever other things that aren't coming to my mind right now, all the things that, you, you know, comfort. Oh my goodness, do we have an idol of comfort in the West. Or will we turn instead to where Moses was? While this is going on at the bottom of the mountain, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says that the, letter, the letters carved in stone, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israel's, Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face. Moses was being transformed in the presence of God. And we have that opportunity to be transformed in God's presence even more so. We have this hope. We are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. To this day, when the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Now look at this where it says, verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Listen, we would be fools to try to act for the need in our nation and in our world in our own strength. And if that's how we've been living and acting, we need, to, we need to repent of that. We need a change of mind. We need to step into that invitation from God for active dependence. 
listening to the promises of God, believing that they're true, and contending in prayer, placing our church in a, in a position where we're sunk unless God comes through, looking for those opportunities to trust him for the impossible. And we even need to take a further step and say, Lord, we don't only want you to work around us in Leamington. We don't only want you to work around us in Canada. We want you to work in us. We want you to transform us. And we hear that call from God to enter into his presence to be changed. And if I can say with, with some degree of boldness, I think this word is a word that the church in Canada, and so therefore the church here in Leamington needs to hear. That God doesn't only want to work through us, but that he wants to work in us. Leamington desperately needs churches that are transformed by the presence of God. People whose lives glow with the beauty of, of God. That our hidden sins would be exposed. That those things we're afraid to speak about would be spoken. That we'd leave our addictions behind. That we'd leave our, our shame behind. And that we would walk into the transforming presence of God, that we would leave our slave identity behind and stop wallowing around in this half-slave reality, allowing sin to infect our lives, but that we would go up and be transformed by God, not for our own sake, but for his glory and for the sake of those who need to see the power of God at work in real lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are the slave-liberating God, and we thank you. You have liberated us from slavery to sin through the death of your son, Jesus. And Lord, because you have done the impossible to bring us to life in Christ, we believe you for impossible things for the world around us. No darkness is too dark for you. No death defeats you. You reach into places of brokenness and darkness and death, and you bring life and healing and freedom. And Lord, we believe you for that. Make us people who are active in our faith, trusting you for impossible things. May we never trust in our own strength. Make us people of prayer who turn instead to cry out for you to move as only you can. And Lord, we hear your invitation this morning to join you at the top of the mountain. Jesus, thank you for making a way that we can enter boldly into the throne room of God. Transform us, Father, in your presence. Fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. Change us from the inside out. We long to be people who are living testimonies to the power of God. Free us, Lord, we pray. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Renew your church. Revive your church that the world may know. Amen. As we think about what Trevor shared today, this idea that it's about God in our lives and letting go of things that hold us back and What's interesting about Canada as a whole, there's been many revivals in Canada. Look it up. Uh, hundreds of years ago, it's happened uh, in Vancouver, in Saskatoon, in different parts of Canada where God has moved mightily and he continues to do a great work. And I don't know about you, but when you hear Reverend Billy Graham says what he says about Canada, he's just a mere man, I get it. 
But Jesus also told us, as Trevor alluded to, that the gates of hell will not prevail and the church will be strong. And so I hope you're inspired and encouraged by that, but give you chills in your back because we live in a nation and we need in a, live in a world where people need Christ. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we willing to do? And what's interesting about Moses, he struggled in his call, didn't he? And if you get a chance later today, read out Exodus 4. It's a great story of what God was doing in Moses' life and preparing him and showing him some signs and to prepare him on what's ahead. And here's what Moses says. It's a conversation he's having with God. And this is what Moses says. Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now go, and I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say. But Moses said, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. And if you get a chance later today, read the rest of the story, because it's amazing. And sometimes we can look at ourselves and say, send somebody else. And yet the part I want to focus on is we aren't eloquent. We might be slow with speech because it's not about us. It's about what God can do in and through us. Amen? And we need to think about it like that when we think about revival, what God can do in our lives, and it pours out to other people around us. I hope you're encouraged by that because I, I am. I'm challenged as well because it's not easy. But if we lean into God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, look out, world. Many will come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and we ourselves will live in the freedom that comes in the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. As we wrap up today, we always offer prayer. And if you come here this morning and you're going through anything, or if the Holy Spirit said something to you today that you need to do something about, to step out, not on your own, but in the strength of God, come forward. There'll be people available to pray with you. And again, as people are meeting and connecting up front, if you want to visit, we encourage you to do that, do that in the foyer down the hallway. I'm going to call Brother Trevor up. We're going to pray for him and close off our service as well. Uh, Trevor has been fighting sickness the last little while, and today is his best day. He's been feeling for a few weeks, and we're glad that he made the trek up here. Let's pray for him. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you can use us. And I pray, Lord, as we go into this week, that we would step out, not in our own strength, but because of you. And when those fears come that we don't know if we're gifted enough and we don't have the words to say, and truth be told, Lord, we don't have it, but you do. And I pray that you give us all that desire and insight to go into this week with the ability to start with revival in our own hearts. And Lord, we commit that to you. We ask that you would shower over Canada into our nation and where we're living currently that many people understand what it means to follow you. Give us boldness and strength to do that. Thank you for Trevor's call on his life, that he goes to church to church and hears different stories about what you're doing. I pray, Lord, that encourages him as well. And as he's away from his family often, protect them and give his kids and his wife such a blessing. And as Trevor travels, keep him safe, give him great health, and continue to use him mightily to share the stories about what you're doing around our nation. So Lord, as we go into this week, we pray that you are lifted up in all things. Thank you for each person. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday, Meadowbrook.